Dr. Troy Flanagan is Director of Performance for the Milwaukee Bucks. We had the chance to have a great conversation with Troy to learn about his work and his leadership with the Bucks. He's got an amazing background as a scientist, having earned his PhD and many other degrees and certifications. And Troy has a really impressive background in many ways. Some of the most important work that he does now with the Bucks is in a leadership role as the director of a wide-ranging performance team. So we learned the ins and outs of, of Troy's work as director of performance. We learned about his regular routines with his team, who he works with, and we learned about how each member of the Bucks team has a support group that works directly with him in a variety of ways, and Troy helps facilitate and guide that work in really important ways. We also learned about some really noteworthy developments in technology, these new tools of practice that are being used throughout the NBA that will help teams to learn more about how athlete performance plays out on the court in a, in a wide variety of ways. So it was fascinating to hear from Troy about that as well. So we just want to thank Dr. Troy Flanagan for his time with us and sharing about his important work as a member of the leadership team of the Milwaukee Bucks. Thank you, Troy. Yes, yes. So my, um, my title is Vice President of Performance, which is code for in charge of the fitness of the team, nutrition, sports medicine, psychology, technology, uh, and you know, all the things that go into preparing the athletes. So it's a robust and full team and is there, there is a head of each of those units then as part of your team generally i have a head sometimes like the head of psychology is the only psychologist so he's the head of himself um, but um, i oversee each of these guys i have a head strength coach i have a head physical therapist um, slash head of medicine um, and yeah I, I try and keep it kind of somewhat vertical but i do have approximately 21 people reporting okay. to me so Do you, does that group meet and come together regularly um, as a whole or yes. they, is each group kind of autonomous no we actually meet we met this morning we meet every day um, so there has to be a there's so much information flying around that if we don't get the group together in one spot um, and run through what the players need then all of the you know information can fly everywhere so we, we do have a daily morning meeting before everything gets started just to get everyone up to up to the same talking points and the same message points uh, about what each player is doing today. And right now we're sitting here as the team's about to go through an open gym and we're at the precipice of training camp about to start. Um, what does the daily meeting look like today, for example? What did you talk about? Yeah, so um, we launched a new piece of technology, so we opened with that. Um, uh, to, and that's to promote communication within an interdepartment communication between us and the coaches so um, so um, so we talked about that and we we have just our daily availability so who's in for practice to, well it's not practice but who's in for open gym today um, and who's not in and um, who's modified as well so some people are in and healthy but they're just kind of getting back into it and so they won't do quite as much as the rest of the team. 
how does communication happen in that group? So there's the physical part of the players, what what you're monitoring physically, but then you mentioned you also have psychologists and others at play. Yeah. Um, how do you talk about the different aspects of wellness and readiness? Yeah, we group it by player. So we, we'll just run through the list and talk each of the, each player has their own kind of support team around them. Um, so they'll have a physical therapist assigned, a strength coach, a psychologist, dietitian, etc. And so, so when I talk about Giannis, his group start talking and then we mitched, uh, move to another player, the next custom group of people will start talking and they give a very brief update of what's happening with the player and particularly if there's any modifications or things that they think that the, the coaches and myself need to know. So you know, sometimes it's an update on how they went last yesterday, how they responded to the session and what they've got today and other times it's just what they've got today and you know they're healthy and they're in full go and we move on quickly to the next one. So it's more the complicated ones that we stop and pause on. But then, then um, within that there's kind of, there's weekly rehab meetings where all the people who are, you know, uh, suffering some injuries or um, have some modifications where we deep dive into those. Uh, plus we produce weekly reports and there's a lot of, lot of information flow happening in my area and it's got to be pretty organized. So the the, the members of a given player's team might uh, change, I would assume, as issues arise. So if there's special, with this, say a player has a knee issue and you have a member of your staff who's, that's in their wheelhouse. Does, it doesn't change. Does, it doesn't change. No, they, they stick with the same one. Otherwise you're kind of handing off, which creates a, okay. actually a bigger okay. yeah. communication challenge. So that group is with them no matter what they get. For the yeah. whole? For the whole time. The oh. Yeah. So. Otherwise, they're just handing off to each mm -hmm. other, and things get fall through the cracks. Mm -hmm. And you know, sometimes they'll pull in. Yeah, we've got some staff here that are really great at ACL re reconstruction and rehabs. So we've got some people who are unbelievable at hamstring rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. So they'll go over and hey, look at my program. This is what we've got for him. What do you think? Uh, and they'll get input from others outside of these meetings. But essentially, you know, that core group is the one that stays with them and. You know, it's a bit like having a hairdresser. You have your hairdresser and you don't want to change your hairdresser. Yeah. The players get like that around that, about so that the, stuff. Do the players develop bonds with their team, with their their support group? Very much so. Um, it's it's the number one thing with them is trust. And they're trusting that you know, you know what you're doing and you're preparing them. And um, there's times where we want them to do things that they fundamentally don't want to do but are better for them. And so we... They have to have that the initial bond of trust there uh, before they'll take on anything that any staff member says. So, and there's there's different layers of trust, like like an onion. You get get to the middle yeah, of the onion, sure. and initially when you come in, you're on the outer, and then you just mm -hmm. as as staff members stay longer and work with players and go through the ups and downs and roller coasters of an NBA season, they 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 migrate to the middle of the onion. In a like a school setting, like at our university, there are things that like a physician can and cannot share, you know, basic kind of HIPAA stuff. Yes. Um, how does that, how do you navigate all of that? Yeah, so um, it's pretty interesting actually. Uh, we'll start with just the medical side. So the players sign a release form and the release form says that if I wanted to, I could stand up in the media and talk about all of Giannis's medical history and his injuries. And so that stops um, stops us essentially from getting into any HIPAA violations. 
um, now there's legally and then there's ethically would I stand up and do that no I wouldn't and um, but the they do s essentially sign the rights to communicating about their injuries and illnesses to the media to within the organization so that there's yeah, we're not not having to hide an injury or you know anything like that. Um, now, on the psychology side, it's a little different. Um, so we have a performance psychologist and we have clinical psychologists. If if something is said in confidence, so the player says, "I really prefer you didn't share this with the team," but here's what's going on, um, then we keep that locked down under HIPAA. Um, if there's something. Most of our psychology work, I'd say almost all of it, is more performance stuff. So when you're standing on the free throw line, here's how to get rid of distractions, here's the skill development program. So it's really much more about performance. So we're pretty chatty about that stuff. So here, here are the things, here's the tracking system that you know um, one of our players is working on. Here are all the skills that he's learning in mental strength and um, here are the things that are kind of attacking you know the performance yeah. on from a mental perspective and we talk pretty openly and freely about that and the players are very happy about that because you know if we're if um you know if a, if a player's struggling with a particular area the coach needs to know that um so that he can help him yeah and maybe not hurt him in that you know if, if they're overdoing a particular area so it's really important around the psychology that there's actually a lot of information flow. If you hide behind HIPAA and don't tell anyone that you're working on anything, it normally fails. Yeah. And uh, the psychologists don't normally last very long yeah. when they operate under that kind of HIPAA medical model. And, you know, I can't tell you anything about it. any work that I'm doing with any player. Mm -hmm. People start to wonder if they're doing anything at all. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so HIPAA is a really interesting challenge, but uh, there are some some basic safeguards in there to allow us to openly talk about player information freely um, and we're, we're respectful and ethical in how we do that. You were just mentioning a moment ago before we started uh, about the, some of the technology and how it's growing so fast and there's, I don't remember what you said specifically about the amount of data you get, but can you talk about some of the most dramatic changes in data that you receive and I know yeah. there's a lot but how that's changed over your eight plus years here yeah um, I think I probably even need to wind back a little earlier so in the in the late 90s I actually did a PhD in aerospace engineering to develop a microsensor um, so it's a, a chip I got missile gardens parts and shrunk them down to the size of a quarter put them onto the foot of a soccer player and produced the first wearable technology um, that was ever invented. So solved the problem that U.S. military. You, you did. Yes, that was part of my PhD. Wow. And so now it's in, it's it's in your Fitbit, it's in your iPhone watch, uh, in your watch. It's actually in your iPhone. This technology is off the shelf. It's pretty easy to get. But in those days, it was very innovative. Yeah. Um, and what the, what's happened as a result of these kind of wearable technologies is a data explosion. So. So for our players, when they're practicing on court, there's 70,000 data points per second being um, coming in on where they are on the court and what they're doing. And um, for us, that was a fire hydrant of, of data. We've got that organized. We've learned a lot in the last eight years. And the reason why I invented that technology <coughs> way back then was to teach coaches 
on how much work to the players should do and how much they shouldn't do. So give them a feel for, for work. Mm-hmm. And some coaches overdo the work, some underdo the work. The sweet spot, if you measure it a lot and give coaches a lot of feedback, after about four or five years, they get a really great understanding and feel for how much work players should do. Now some coaches come into the league and work for 15 years and they, they naturally get a great feel for it and others need a lot more data to come at them to say, hey, we're at the threshold here. So fast forward, um, we're actually about to go through another industrial revolution, like a major one. And so what's happening in the NBA this year is a system called Hawkeye, which gives us full 3D kinematics of not just where they are on court, but what their arms and legs are doing. So a biomechanical model of the player running up and down the court. And we also get our opponents. So if you think about that, what we're going to get is not just, well, it'd be 70,000 data points times 16 per second. So 16 different markers on the body. And what, so if Giannis gets hurt, we can actually go back and build a 3D model of what happened in that injury, how much force went through the knee, what type of action the knee went through as it got injured. And it's quite stunning. So um, from that, we can also do prediction equations on how tired the athletes are. We can build like movement signatures on how they move on court. And if that movement starts to change, or if they develop a limp, um, if something's getting sore, we should get real-time notification of these things happening. So it's quite a stunning, this is what I imagined 20 years ago we yeah. would have. And I'm like, well, based on the technology we have, you know, a microsensor is probably as good as we're gonna get. But I did envisage one day that the system would go optical. They don't wear anything, there are cameras around the court, and we will just build 3D biomechanical models of people running everywhere. So that's, it's, it's, for us, it's pretty amazing, pretty exciting. And this is implemented at the league level. So yes. this would be every arena is outfitted with this technology now. And yes. are you getting real-time data across the league? Yes. Yeah, and it's just about to start. Uh, Major League Baseball have had it for 12 months. Oh. And so um, when the, it's mainly for pitching analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, but for us, it's... It's going to be extraordinary because it's we're, you know not so much for biomechanical analysis someone throwing it's for us it's about work a technique will definitely be something in there but I'm really excited about how we can use it in other ways for you as someone who's on the far extreme of like literally a trailblazer in the field who's amazing invention and this is the work you do to understand this work is one thing but then. I'm really interested in that gap between your expertise with, you know, the coaches. Again, you've referred to meeting with them and how you get to those 70,000 times 16 data points and make it meaningful in a simplistic way for them. I don't mean simplistic in that they can't handle it. I just mean in a usable way for them. What, What are the biggest challenges in doing that? I think that's kind of the art to it all. Um... My first job was with the Australian Olympic team when I was 21 years old and so I I always say I was raised by wolves or raised by coaches and so I lived and worked with coaches and in the early 90s they kind of beat me up pretty hard when I'd come at them with all sorts of graphs and tables of data and they're just like nope, 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 go back, give us like your three takeaway points from, from that information and 
they, they, I got pretty good at translating lots and lots of information to, hey coach, here's what we should do today. I think we should spend 45 minutes on court and these are some of the parameters that, that we, um, that we should, should stick to. And it's, the data quite a lot has been really about teaching me and what the players need but then I translate that into a super simple message to the coach. And if he wants to dig, well, why? And I go, oh, well, here, here's some data. I can show you exactly why I'm recommending that. And then he, okay, well, let's dig further. We can go down, down, down and keep digging. But I, it's really important you don't overwhelm these guys with yeah. lots of graphs and tables. Um, but there's, sometimes they're a, good, they're a good thing to pull out and go, hey, we really need yeah. to stop and change the way we're... we're Pairing these guys right now. Have you broadly observed coaches changing in that regard? And, and I'm sure there are unique factors that play for every coach, but just generally speaking, over these last say ten years, have coaches come to a greater awareness that this is part of their work is to be able to learn from you? Yeah, I think generally the answer is yes. Um, I think each coach is, is their own person. There's some are techie, some are not techie, some love data, some don't. Um, and so I, I think the art is just finding out how much to give them, how much not to give them. Um, but over over the last, well, really 20 years in sports science and coaching, it's evolved incredibly. To you know, but I, I still love the guys who have just the innate feel yeah. from 20, 30 years of coaching, where I walk up to them with graphs and tables and say hey, this is what I think we should do. And they're like, yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Yeah. And you're like, how? Oh, I'm not really teaching this guy much because he has that feel that I yeah. spoke about there. Um, I don't need to bombard them with, with data. So I just move on and work on other things to yeah. try and help the team performance. I'm interested more in uh, more like granular perspective on the types of people that now, now that you have these new technologies and all of this, these data, has it shifted who you want on your team, like your reports, like the type of expertise, the type of background that you have, again, now versus several years ago. Yeah, so when I first got to the Bucks, I think there are probably six in the performance department, and um, now I, I think I mentioned 21. And so just the, the what's really causing that is not only the science and technology that's coming in, but the demand from the players to have more individualized programs. They need to feel like they've got their own team and they are the only athlete here and that's what's happening um, in the NBA so uh, from the technology perspective sure I have I've had a full-time actuary work for me who just comes up with math equations and new ways to calculate things new ways to calculate work new ways to analyze data um, prediction equation so you know, at the start of the year we can predict how hard the season's going to be which weeks are our danger weeks based on where we're going to practice and where we're going to play wow. we can we can already tell who's going to get tired and when and i always think of actuaries as being like in the insurance industry or yeah well that's where is, we is that that's where we steal them from yeah um but sport is definitely a great spot for an actuary to to hang out because yeah. there's kind of fun math equations yes yeah. and uh, we had a, a, a guy, um, a young, really talented guy. He's like the, the actuary of all the actuaries that we chose that knew the most about sport, which still wasn't much. Um, <laughs> but uh, he looked like he'd actually played sport at one point, yeah. so it was kind of fun to have him in. And he, he yeah. was 
marvellous. Probably the most innovative work that we've done was by our actuary, yeah. um, who, uh, you know, or data analyst or whatever you want to call him, but he had a really strong math background and developed some equations that just blew my mind um, and was so practical and, um, yeah, and, and were really creative in the way that he would create red flags for players like mm -hmm. if that someone was fatiguing and he um, it, it just really unique math equations some from the insurance world um, like in the same way that insurance companies use actuaries to predict death and mm -hmm. you know illness mm -hmm. in, in in the he would predict fatigue ah. and in players and also in our opposition so we line up against the Lakers tonight we know who's fatiguing based on what they've done on the court in the last mm -hmm. five games mm -hmm. and um, who, who theoretically is flagging and who we should run harder tonight. Yeah, so great, great, um, great diversity and skill sets. Everyone that works with me essentially has done a sports science degree. Uh, so all the, f the fitness staff all have Bachelor of Applied Science, Masters, some, some doctorate level, um, you know, physical therapists that are all basically doctors now, um, or PhDs in doctorates in, in, uh, in PT. So yeah, it's just the quality and the and the the quantity of staff has dramatically improved. It's a bit of an arms race to uh, between different teams throughout the league to put in the best care around the athletes. Just a couple more questions. Like one is um, this is a, kind of a simplistic question, but how do you assess how well all of these new things are working? In other words, I'm, I would imagine there are performance metrics. There are health and wellness metrics yes yeah well it's quite simple like if yeah. your team is healthy and available to play that's yeah. that's a very easy one to to pick so when we came into the team the bucks were the most injured team tied with the lakers for last in the league for the most injuries over the previous decade so um it's a very unhealthy team all their good players were, you know, injured a lot, and we've gone from last to when we won the championships in 2021, we were the most healthy team in the league by a mile. And so, and what we know from research, it says, in English Premier League and all these other sports, the healthiest team usually wins the championship. And so, the Bucks have invested an enormous amount of of infrastructure, as you're hearing, to to develop. Good systems and processes around preparing the athletes and keeping them healthy. Now, how do we know that it's working? So, these these poor players are tested and poked and prodded constantly. Everything that they do is measured. And now, if they lift a weight in the weight room and it's their personal best, it flashes up on the TV screen as that's the best lift, that's the most power you've lifted, etc. So, everything they do is measured. So that's one thing. Plus, there's a number of assessments that they do periodically uh, from strength of every single joint in their body through to how they run and the technique analysis and all those sorts of things. So it's pretty easy to see whether the programs are working. But also, at the end of the day, are the athletes happy with the services they're getting provided? And that's something we do check in with them constantly. Is Are you happy with your haircut? Are you happy with the services that we've provided you? And you, know, you want to keep working with the people you're working with, and, and there's an overwhelming yes um, to all of those questions recently. 
I think finally, like we're sitting in this space where I can, I think I can literally see a lot of what you're talking about. We have a, we have a, a weight room here. We have like a rehab room, court right here. A lot of bustling around. How do you take um, what's here when the unit goes on the road, and how do because that's a significant stretch of, of your time together. Yeah. How does that look when you translate to other spaces? Certainly the facilities are compromised. We have everything at our fingertips here, and um, but the, the team does pick up and move with them. And we have, we ha also have a, enough staff members to kind of break off if there's a rehab and the guy has to stay back. We've got enough staff to detach a group and leave them here and continue with the rest of the team. Um, it's challenging with working out of hotels and, and other spaces, but um, we, we do try and replicate it as much as we can. Yeah. I guess I do have I mean, one last, you personal, last personal question of how do you grow and how do you develop? Are you involved in kind of this bus burgeoning world of data science, like things at the Sloan Conference or international stuff with the EPL? Is that part of your world and your growth and development? Yeah, uh, the, the quick and easy way to stay up to date is go to a conference and get all the answers all at once in two or three days. So I, um, But we, we didn't actually have a whole lot of time to go out and do it. So I, I attended a major sports science conference here in America and another one in, in Paris over the summer. And um, that was every now and then, I, every kind of four or five years, I pop up and go, what's new in the world of sports science? Mm -hmm. Where are the researchers? What are they working on? What's just over the horizon? And I try and curate that and bring it back in. But we found the best way to, for, for growth and development and personal development is to bring the experts to us. So if we're having patella tendonitis issues in our team, we get the world's leading researcher in patella tendonitis, invite her to come in and give us a workshop and a summary. Mm -hmm to our staff one-on-one. -on -one. So we do get a lot of experts into our team because time is our most precious commodity. And if you can bring them to us, all we can do these days is a Zoom meeting with, with a world-leading expert. That, that's, that's our way, that's our, our um, quick and dirty way to do it.